It may be a little ironic, or maybe not, but I have not created a fresh June episode because I'm caring for my dad. As many of you know, June is Father's Day here in the U.S. and and some places around the world. Many of you have heard bits and pieces in previous episodes that I am his primary caregiver, and it is an honor. The last few months, as in since about the end of February, he has battled on through multiple medical issues. And I, I've battled advocating for him. Unfortunately, advocating feels like an uphill battle most days. It sometimes feels like the medical community wants to dictate how I should care for my dad or not care as much because they know what's best for him. And I'm sorry, but he's my dad. So I will battle for him. I will continue to do so. There were several times when I I thought, this is it. He's not coming back from this. But he continues to be with us. And I cherish and thank God for every single day, every minute I get with him. Being a caregiver who works full time means that I am on the run from the moment my eyes open in the morning until bedtime. I do my very best to get at least seven hours of sleep most nights, but sometimes the time I go to bed and the time I wake up, those times happen on the same side of the clock. Fortunately, not very often. Otherwise, I would just not be able to maintain my schedule. There would be no way. Bottom line, sleep keeps me from falling apart. (laughs) So I want to thank you for your patience as I navigate my life as it currently is and my podcasting schedule. You know, not to pat myself on the back, but because I do take this podcast so seriously, the research, the guests, the everything, being able to go back and ask you to listen to a previous episode, which is what I'm asking you to do this month, does not feel like a cop-out. I have had the great privilege of having fabulous guests throughout the life of this podcast. And Dr. Robin Hadley on episode 143 is one of those fabulous guests. So episode 143 first aired in August of 2022. It was my second time conversing with Dr. Robin Hadley. And so I'd really like to ask you to take a listen. And I'd like to once again, thank you for your patience. And thanks for journeying with me. I appreciate it. Until next time, have a great one. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. At first the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms, and then the whining schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like furnace, with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice and fair round belly with good cape unlined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances. And so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful holes well saved, 
a world too wide for his shrunk shank and his big manly voice, turning again toward childish trouble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion, sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. William Shakespeare's The Seven Ages of Man Hello, everyone, and welcome to Childless Not By Choice podcast. My name is Savella Morgan. My mission is to recognize and speak to childless, not by choice women and men around the world, reminding you, us, that we can live joyful, relevant, fulfilled, childless, not by choice lives. And whether you have children or not, thank you for tuning in. Well, what is today's show about? The Stories Men Tell. Before we get started, I'd like to say a great big thank you to my Patreon contributors, the patrons who help me keep this show going by making their monthly contributions to the show. You are truly appreciated and always remembered in every show, even if I don't happen to mention you in a particular show. You are always in my thoughts and prayers. Thank you so much. Today we have a guest and you guys know how much I love having guests so that you don't have to hear my voice through the whole episode. We have one Dr. Robin Hadley. He is actually a repeat guest. I actually went back into my podcast episode library and found that his first ever episode, our first conversation was in 2017. I can't believe it was that far back, but yes, time does fly. And I did put a link to the show in the show notes here. Speaking of the show notes, there are tons of links in here because he's just that smart, you guys. He's got a PhD. (laughs) Dr. Robin Hadley, how are you? Thanks for coming back to visit us once again. Well, thank you for the invite to talk with you again. I'm very well, thank you. And that was a, a lovely introduction using Shakespeare there, beautifully read. Well, I tried and I did practice, although it, it doesn't really seem like I did when I read it, but I, I did practice it a few times and I really was just like intrigued. I listened actually to different people reading it on YouTube. And oh. so I, I also put that link in the show notes. I think I ended up with the way that Morgan Freeman read it. And so, yeah, so the way he read it, I put that link in the show notes, but multiple, I was like, wow, so many people have read it and posted it. How cool is this? But yes, I ended up with his version of it and it was pretty cool to, to listen to. So when we last spoke in 2017, let me just get straight to the point here, I guess. You told a story about an interaction at a ball field. I don't know if it was football or rugby or what it was. Do you remember that story? I don't know. This is great news. Really? <laughs> yeah. I think it was a story of an elder man that didn't have any children. Oh, I'm yes. Trying to, do you remember that? I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'd been asked to be a granddad by... The man who stood behind him at the, the football field right. or the soccer field, he's a regular supporter. The man's father had died, so his sons didn't have a granddad and they needed one for a school project. So both his sons wanted him to be sort of adopted granddad. So mm-hmm. he, he performed that role for about three years 
and and got so much from it. Yes. And you see why I remember that story? I've I've never forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a story that just really tugged at my heart when you first told it. And so I wanted you to tell it again here to our new listeners who may not have gone back to 2017 sure. yet. Sure. So the young boys uh, went round to his house and told, he told them his life story and they had some interactions. And this carried on for a couple of years, three years, I think, actually. Mm-hmm. And every so often, well, every match that he was there and the boys were there, they'd come and talk with him. And as those boys turned into men, even as men, they would shout, hello, granddad, to him. And uh, he said how moved that made him, mm-hmm. made him feel belonged and wanted. That is so beautiful. That is such mm-hmm. a beautiful story. And I know a lot of times we may hear that from a childless woman's point of view, but it's so beautiful to hear from a childless man's point of view. So that's where I really wanted you to tell us that story again and just remind us all that men can be childless, not by choice as well. And they can, you know, feel moved by by such an act. So thanks for telling us that story once again. Thank you. So about your book, because we're gonna we're gonna intertwine stories of, of men in this episode, but I want to stop by your book for a moment. You have a new book out. You did tell me it's a little bit more educational, although you have four chapters on men's stories. Mm. But tell us a little bit more about your book. Yeah, sure. My book is based on my PhD research and the thesis I produced that we call it thesis in this country for PhD. In the States they call it dissertation, I think, for a PhD. And so my research was looking at older, childless men who wanted to be dads and didn't become them across their life course. So it looks at their childhood, their relationships in formative years, and then as they go through life and where they are, and the roads and paths that they took that meant they didn't become fathers that they they want to become and i think one of the big things is there are many factors but economics is a very big factor a lot of people think childlessness involuntary childlessness is just to do with infertility but the, there's a whole bunch of things that interweave around why people become childless so yeah i decided to convert my thesis into a book and yeah there's four chapters really examining the men's stories through those elements of their childhood their work their attitude their relationships and where they are now as older men and that includes faith and what faith means for them and what their thoughts about the future are and what legacy they'll they will leave and who's going to know about that. Did any of them, speaking of faith, did any of them tell you how they used faith or how faith helped them in their childlessness or if there was a battle going on in their mind, for lack of a better term? There were certain conflicts in, I remember one particular man saying he and his wife were very involved with the church and the church had a school associated with it. So they were on the board of the the church school. And often there was either directly or indirectly an indication, but because they didn't have children, they shouldn't be involved. And so they had to negotiate that. And that particular chap said, you know, in later life, he was sort of hoping that the learnings from his faith would give him a peaceful way of being 
and a gentle way of being in mm-hmm. later life. And that would give him some comfort to be in that sort of peaceful space. Another guy, he often moved around for his job and found that church was almost a ready-made family for him to move into, no matter what area he was in. There was always that stability of he could go and there'd be meals and social activities and people would accept him. Mm. So he found that very comforting from that element. I think he said, actually, uh, that the church is, is my family. That's wonderful to hear because I'll be honest, I have I have a thing because because I am a church person. I'm a preacher's mm. kid. I grew up in church. I know that sometimes it may sound like I'm speaking against the church. I'm not. I am a believer, but I feel like sometimes church can make you feel like the first man where, you know, why are you here if you don't have kids? Why are you on the board if you don't have children? Which is yeah. it's, it's a bit ridiculous because honestly... I was just thinking about this today and I was thinking about it because a woman was coming around. She wants votes, basically. So she came around door to door yesterday and left a hang tag on everybody's doorknobs as she went from home to home asking for the vote because she wants to be on the school board. She's a teacher. She's a mother. And at first I was just going to put the flyer aside because I'm like, well, I don't have any kids. I, I really don't care. And then I thought to myself, but wait a minute. I do care because, and I've discussed this before, I still have to pay taxes, even Uh if I don't have children. And where I live, you know, there are schools nearby. So you're paying for schools to exist. Uh And then the other thought is you want the kids to to be taught well. You want them to come out being a a positive contribution to society, Uh not not scary people, (laughs) you you know. You know, so you kind of then I thought, you know, I do need to make sure I vote for the right person with the right um, thoughts on on how school should be and how the school board should be, although I don't have children, you know. So it's just kind of ridiculous sometimes when people don't think outside the box, because I found myself not thinking outside the box as a childless person. And absolutely that first chap, I remember him saying now that actually some parents were very focused on getting their child through and going in certain directions. And he was saying that may be great for them, but holistically and for the the church element of the school, that as childless people, they had a a broader view. So they were slightly more objective view of actually what the long-term aims and policies of the school and what it should be doing and what it should be teaching and where its focus should be. And that, that whole point there is why it's so important for us to remember as childless people that we do have a part to play in society, a good and big and positive part to play. We're not supposed to be hiding in plain sight because our objective and our viewpoint matters because now they're, they're thinking long-term and long game where the parent, and of course, rightly so, the parent is concerned about their child right now. <laughs> So that's a that's a great story to tell. Do you have any other stories that you can think of in the book that you discuss? And, you know, before that, I wanted to also, there was something else that I thought about as you were talking about the first person. What was it that just crossed my, oh, when you, before you talked about the first person, you also mentioned the reasons, you, one of the reasons that men don't end up having children could be financial. Mm. And I don't know, maybe tell me how you think about this, but I think it's in the society, the worldwide society that men are the providers. We kind of, that's just how it's been. Mm. 
Hmm. Yes, there are a lot of money, women out there making their own money, making their own decisions, because there are a lot of us, I should mean, you know, meaning myself included, hmm. who are not married or never married. And so we have to rely on our income and our financial decisions to make it through this life. But typically speaking, men are the breadwinner, they may make more money and have more income. So if financially they felt like it might not be a good idea to have children, is that part of the reason they felt like they didn't have enough income? Absolutely. It sort of depends on your the job you do. So especially these days with short-term contracts and the gig economy, and you're, you're not sure when the job will end. How long is it going to last? Are you going to be able to afford accommodation? How long is that going to last for? And it's very much about the provider role Mm -hmm. that I think the way it used to be, you know, the blue collar men I talked to would say, you know, the thing to do was to leave school, get a job, get married and have children. And for the, the middle class, it was leave school, go to university, get married, have children. It's just that they never got to the last bit. And when it came to finance like the the chap I was talking about moving around for jobs he always bought a three-bedroom house or rented a three-bedroom house so that if he found someone there'd be a home there to settle down with it's just that he never found anyone and part of that was because he was always moving around every six months every 18 months so that so he's sort of out of sync with his peer groups as well, it goes to a different place, has to set up a new friendship network, or friends, mm-hmm. and all that. And he was working very hard, so getting in early, working late, all that sort of thing. For one of the working class men, he, he met his wife in their teenagers, late teenagers. They got married, they were married for 30 years before they divorced. But it was absolutely, you know, to get a steady job. Mm-hmm. and settle down and be secure. These sort of basic elements were around that. And I think now one of the elements that's coming through very strongly is student loans. Yeah, People are, have to pay them off. We've only just had them for the past 20 years or something like that in this country, but it's been long established, I think, in the US, oh, yes. hasn't it? There's definitely research coming from the US saying people are saying, you know, I've got tens of thousands of debt that I've got to pay off. I'm working to pay that off and keep a roof over my head and all those other things. It's just not viable. And quite often people delay until they are secure Mm -hmm. before having trying to have children. And then that biological clock ticks in with that. So finance is incredibly an economics. So world economics influence people's decision whether they're going to have children. Quite often people say, well, I'll delay it. We all know it's a limited window that you can delay for. And that goes for men and women. And just for a, a few stats now, there's probably more childless men than there are childless women oh. in the US. And in fact, for most of the world, sort of one-off studies indicate this. So in, in the UK, about 20% of the female population is childless and about 25% of the male population is. And more or less all around, way around the world, that's pretty true actually in sort of western northern hemisphere type developed countries and i think singapore for example their fertility rate is 1.3 and for it to be a replacement rate it's got to be 2.1 so they're very there's a lot of countries where the fertility rate is low and generally there's more childless men than childless 
women. It's not often spoken about, and that's the way they, because of one of the ways they collect the, the data, I won't go into that, unless you want me to, in which case I'm very happy to. But uh, yeah, and there's something about why not collect the same data on men as they do on women. Is there something about a society not wanting to know about men who don't become the ideal provider, protector? Well, I, I would like us to go into it a little bit, but I wonder okay. if the reason is because of, well, let me ask you, why do you think it is that there are more childless men than women? Well, one of the things is people who have children with one person then change partner and have children with an, another partner. They tend to be people who pick people who've had children mm. <laughs> rather than people of, oh, well, I've got a child and now I've, my partner is somebody without a child. Oh. So there's that sort of doubling up. I think that's really one of the big ones, really. For men, well, for women, it could be that if you're a childless woman and you find a man who's already got children, uh, some evolutionary psychologists would say that's a selection effect, that the woman is picking the man because she knows he's fertile. Mm -hmm. And also there could be the selection effect that actually he knows that he's a good father. He knows how to handle kids. So right. it's not like you're both learning at the same crazy stage. Somebody's got experience already. So that's uh, certainly some of the reasons around that. On the financial thing, that's an economics, you're more likely to be a childless man if you're working class, blue collar, than if you're any other class. So again, evolutionary a psychologist would say that's a selection effect, that the, the women are picking the more successful men. So uh, that, that's just their view. Other people have different views. But there, there could well be something in that. As for the, the stats, when a child is born, their, their mother's unregistered, they have a birth registration, the mother's fertility history is taken. Oh. But the father's isn't. So we have very accurate figures on how many women are having children, how many women they've had in the, how many children they've had in the past. Mm -hmm. so got, and that's are constantly going. So it's a massive data set that goes across decades, almost centuries in some cases. But for men, we don't have that. So at any point, it's quite a simple calculation to do is say, how many women have we got? How many have registered as mothers? Ergo, we know how many aren't mothers. But for men, hmm, sort of no idea. It's not comparable statistics, but one-off studies here and there show that there's more childless men than childless women, biologically childless, that is. So I wonder if it's just, again, societal, ingrained societal assumption that these men do have children, that men just generally have children, so they don't uh, need to take that status. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's another sort of spin on that is that a society doesn't want to know that its men aren't being ideal men, mm -hmm. being virile with fertility, virile mm -hmm. economically, virile socially. So when I'm saying virile, they're, they're being successful in all those spheres. Right. Because if you're, well, most societies were warlike at one point in their development. And if you give your enemy a psychological advantage by saying, well, our men aren't virile in all these ways, then your enemy is more likely to use that information against you. So that's, that was actually by Cynthia Daniels in her book, Reproductive Masculinities, and she's a political scientist in, in the States. So and she did a very good book looking at how men aren't allowed to be seen to be vulnerable 
I'm, I'm documenting societies. that now. I'm writing that down now. Her name is Cynthia Daniels. Yeah, and the book okay. is called Exposing Men, The Science and Politics of Male Reproduction. And that, as I say, and she does go, it is American, so it's about the American system, and she talks about the Veterans Association and difficulties they've had in getting recognition for the impact of Agent Orange on veterans and things like that. Interesting. I'm going to have to do some research on her, check her out. Yeah. It's a lovely book in the way she she does it, because she points out specific things within the American system. But I think that the lovely thing is that she says society needs to change to upset that men are vulnerable right? as, as vulnerable bodies and vulnerable to the environment. And by doing that, it would be better for men and women to sort of recognize we're, we're all human right. and we're all fallible. And that's not discounting because we all know that men and women are different. We, we know that not just... <laughs> physiologically different, but we, we, we are psychologically different. We know, I mean, if I'm speaking out of turn, I'm sure somebody will tell me, but we know that men think differently and deal with things differently typically than women would, where women will come and talk and we will just talk about everything. <laughs> yeah. Men don't tend to do that. <laughs> and that's, I think that's all to do with how we're socialized right. from a very young age. So in the book, I, I point to the example, if you look on social media, let's say Facebook, at people who have children, let's say they just had young children, to look at when they first start calling their boy, my little man, mm-hmm. my little soldier, and do they do the equivalent for the girls? You don't really get people saying my little woman, mm-hmm. my little princess, sort of soft terms, Right. My little man, to, and this can be when they're babies or toddlers, at 18 months, let's say, you're telling a boy, you're a little man. Right. One of my friends was at picking up her child from play group, and a boy was crying, and the mother said, he's got to learn to man up. Mm. I, I, so that's another term, man up. What, yeah. hey, what does it mean? But it's quite, you're being soft. You've got to be tough. You're not supposed to be emotional. That's not your role. Right. And that's embedded within society quite a lot. From multi-millennia. So it's like, how do you get yeah. past that and over it? And we're not, again, we're not trying to, we, you know, I think most women want men to, to be strong, mm. but we don't want you to ignore the things that make you human either. Absolutely. And I think, again, I discuss this in the book, that that is becomes embedded in men. So they, right. they struggle then. They become, uh, if I feel, then it gets a strange reaction. Right. Whereas if I act, so if I go and do something and I respond outside myself through action, so fighting or running away, then that's fine. So they've, they've got sort of like a concrete plug across the top of their chest under their throat that's being put there. Mm-hmm. And all the emotions are underneath that. And that's why sometimes people say, oh, he just exploded. He was such a placid man, but then suddenly he exploded. Uh, and that's because it's like a volcano of emotions mm-hmm. inside, but there's not the, the channels to dispel that frustration and that energy. Whereas with women, and we're talking very broadly here, aren't we? Right, of course. Uh, as, as girls, talk to your friends, be nice to your friends, listen. Listen to your mother 
And as you were saying earlier, no, uh, we, we, I mean, we, we go and we chat and we talk. Mm-hmm. Men sort of measured by things outside this, what they do. So they talk about the game. It's a nice, safe place. There's mm-hmm. other men doing stuff and you can have an opinion and it's very safe. You can have contrary opinion, but that's fine because it's something outside of you and away f- from you, which both men or all men can share. But it's not inside. It's not. My feeling is he should have made that pass, right. and I'm very upset inside. It shot me to the core. It'd be, a, I think, a, a few more explosives. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, though. Tell, tell me. Come to think of it, <laughs> as, as I would hear my parents say when I was young. <laughs> I wonder mm-hmm. if, if, when men are having these interactions around a particular sport or a game or how a game went. Hmm. Are you all learning about, I would imagine you're learning something about that man's personality. Am I thinking too deeply? His beliefs, even something outside of the game or, or the sport, are you learning something about who he really is in that discussion about the sport or the game? I think if you're a sociologist, <laughs> then probably, <laughs> and you had your sociologist mind on, then yes, you probably would. But generally, no, I think do men go there to be sort of the ideal man? So the, you can occupy a narrative, a text around being the ideal man in that mm-hmm. space, but actually still distant your emotions. Mm-hmm. See, it's acceptable to show emotions. So if it's a big final and the losing team, they'll always pan to the crowd, won't they? And there'll be a, a small boy there crying or it's a man crying. And that's acceptable to cry in public about that sporting event. Mm-hmm. That's acceptable. But crying about something else, let's say you're a concert, crying then because somebody sang a sad song or something moved you and resonated, right. would that be as, uh, acceptable? It, it would make people uncomfortable. It would be. <laughs> it would be, but it'd be totally understandable. Right. And I don't get, I guess, if it was a woman at a concert crying because it's something's moved her, would she okay. get empathy? It would be totally fine. Yeah. So Interesting. men act behaving the way they were brought up and there's all sorts of cultural things in there so different cultures um, but we're talking generally right and I, I did read some research it's in the book as well we're born with the same emotional capacity mm. so something happens from being born to being adults where there's a change in how we're socialized right it's the bottom line is the social socialization I mean, yeah. because if you look at girls, girls stop raising their hands. I did. I read something about this as well. Girls will raise their hands in class up to a certain age, and then they, they know the answer, but they stop yeah. raising their hands. And the boys raise their hands more. And in fact, I think the boys are picked more by the teacher. Yeah. There's research on that as well. So yes, it is bottom line. It is socialization. And, and do we, as a, as a world... And of course, you know, there are going to be different parts of the world that may want to make these changes and other parts that are just fine with the way things are. But do we want to make these changes as we continue to evolve as human beings? In certain countries, there are things that are being done, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but there are things that are being done to make sure that is not the case. Mm-hmm. At any rate, as we continue on here, because I know I don't want to spend too much time on one subject, although this is the subject we're talking about, maybe diverting a little bit. Tell us a little bit about, because we are, and your book is talking about 
older men. Mm. Tell us a little bit about AWOC, Aging Without Children. Yeah, Kirsty Woodard, Jody Day, and Mervyn East and I got together, I think it was around about 2014, and decided that we'd form this group called Aging Without Children. Uh, Kirsty was a very strong driver on this. And the stats are quite amazing. In the UK, in by 2030, there's going to be 2 million people who are mm. 65 and over who are childless. Mm. Okay. And big problem is in the UK and a lot of countries is the care system in later life is heavily relying on adult children taking care of their parents, either formally or informally. And that might be just checking in on them, doing a bit of shopping, going around once a week, that sort of thing. But also crucially, when that parent may have to access healthcare, being a mediator mm-hmm. and making sure the parent gets the right healthcare, that the healthcare providers know there's allergies or what their preferences are. So there's an encompassing element to that. And all societies sort of rely on that. Mm -hmm. And the issue is, what if you don't have that? (laughs) So stats show that people who are older and without children are taken into formal care, a lower level of issue, stay in for longer Mm. and have a longer time they need to recover for the same issues. And again, it's because, so let's say you're a childless person living in a, in a condo, which mm-hmm. is a load of flats, as I think we would call them. Right. And your neighbors may interact with you, may, and that's fine. But if something happens to you that requires something intimate, doing cleaning or something like that to you as a person, you may not want your neighbor to do that. And your neighbor may not want to do it, at which point a service has got to come in and start doing that and you're going to be assessed. Whereas if you had an adult child, they may not want to do it, but they may feel sort of duty bound to help in that way. Mm -hmm. So that's what we were looking at. Actually, this group isn't there in the the stats. It's not counted. And the great man, Horace Sheffield, said, if you're not counted, you don't count. (laughs) And that, that's so true, that if governments don't recognize this growing population, and it is a growing population, it might be 25, 20 to 25% of the population now, but it's going to grow to maybe 30% of the population, maybe 35%. So that's a big population that are going to be wanting services. And if the powers that be don't put it into policy that we've got to recognize this group, then 10, 20, 30 years down the line, there's going to be a big problem. So that's what Aging Without Children was about. And there's an element around there of how childless people may be stigmatized Mm -hmm. for not becoming parents. And that happens all the way through the life course. But I think in later life, it has more impact. So in our report, our voices, a woman went into the bank and the teller said something to her. And she said, no, I don't have children. And the teller said, you selfish expletive. Mm-mm. Oh, my. And so that's sort of everyday discrimination that can happen to you if you're, you're childless. And for childless men, all the men I interviewed were very scared of being seen as a, a paedophile. Right. So one chap I interviewed, his wife had passed two years before. 
and they had dogs. When she was alive, she was a gatekeeper. So the local kids, and they had a lovely little street, almost Disney-type street, mm-hmm. with the kids and families, and, and the kids would come and play with the dogs and take them out, and that was fine. But once his, his wife died, he said, I won't let them in the house. I don't want to be seen as that sort of man right. who's having kids come in the house. So, so I tell them, get your dad or your mum to phone. Get your dad and your, your mum to come round, and then you can take the dogs out. Mm. And that's a direct one. But all the men feared that. And actually, I've seen research that says that fathers have the same fear as well. Well, I mean, because there, there's a lot of unfortunate things happening around the world. But, mm. you know, that crossed my mind earlier with the, the men we were talking about, like the one who moved around a lot or the one at church because they're on the board for the school, of course, where children are. So yeah. that crossed my mind. And it, that, of course, it went in one and, and came out the other end of my mind. So I forgot to bring it up. I'm glad you brought it up. But that is something to consider. Yeah. And it's something to consider about how we look at older people as well mm-hmm. and how they're portrayed in media. Oh, America. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't care if I get letters. I don't care. I'm going to say it straight up. America is very age centric. So, you know, once you start to get on the, the elder side, I mean, I one woman told me she was in traffic and in Florida, you know, for those who mm. don't know about Florida and, and yeah, any southern state, that's where most aging people will end up because the weather is better. Mm. And once you get to a certain age, you don't want to be shoveling snow or wondering about snow or slipping on the ice. Mm. So a lot of people move south. And so Florida is very big for, uh, it has a very big elder population. And so <laughs> this was years ago, but this young woman was telling me that she, she was running so late and the person that was in front of her was, was driving so slowly. And when she finally got around to look at the person, she realized the person was a Q-tip. Yeah. And at first I was like, what is a Q-tip? And she was talking about an elderly person that had a head full of gray hair. Oh, wow. And I was so offended. I mean, I was young. I probably was in my 30s at the time. That's how many years ago it was. But I was like, that is so disgusting Hmm. to talk about another human being that way and to talk about an elder person. I just have this thing about how we deal and interact with the elderly. I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. Anybody who knows me knows that. And and maybe a part of it is because I did care for my mom before she passed in 2019. And I'm currently caring for my dad. And I don't like the way the medical community treats elderly people. And I just don't like how society treats elderly people, generally speaking. I have a real problem with it. But yeah, that's what she called this elderly person. And typically in traffic, it's typically a, an elderly person who's holding up traffic, but I always remind myself if I live if I live long enough, I'm probably going to get to this point. Yeah, <laughs> that's the bottom line. Yeah, but nobody thinks that. Most I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot, most people don't think ahead. And I'm a mm. think ahead person. I, like you were talking about, how is healthcare going to look for us? Mm. That are, you know, you for myself. I mean not having any children, I'm caring for my dad. So I'm the one that battles with the doctors and with the insurance companies. And I'm the bad guy. They don't like me, but I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Your situation is is very common for childless people. Actually, I'm looking after somebody, but who's going to look after me? Right. Who's going to do what I'm doing for me? Right. 
and it's a question that that crosses my mind once in a while. Hmm. I don't know if you what what kind of insurance plans you all have in the UK, but like for here and and the people here in the US would know what I'm talking about. I finally it took a while, but I finally found what's called a long-term care plan. And I am going to hang on to that plan with everything in me because it was so hard to find one. And I finally found it. And this is something else you were talking about. I found it through the job that I have, which is the job I have is kind of like a a subcontractor job. They just subcontract you out to different entities. Uh And so I found the plan through them. And fortunately, the plan is portable. So even when I leave this job, I can take that plan with me, which is fabulous. So if anything happens to me in my elder years, I have this long-term care plan that will help pay for the, you know, the stay at the rehab or whatever else it pays for. But these are things that we have to think about as childless, not by choice people regularly and how our lives are going to look and how we want to, you know, be treated with respect and dignity even though we're childless and even if we're elderly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it can be really depressing. <laughs> yeah, it, it can. One of the guys I spoke to, actually the, the grandfather, the, the adopted grandfather, mm-hmm. he'd fallen down coming from the football and hurt his knee. And he was very frustrated that he couldn't get out because his whole life was about getting out. And right. he'd recently gone back to church uh, he used to go to church quite a lot in his very young days. And he'd recently gone back and got a lot of social support there. He did the readings. He had a good voice. He was he was 86, but, you know, you wouldn't think it. That's me being ageist. Um, <laughs> but he found that having to work with a stick, I, I said, like, what's the, what one thing would really improve your, your life? And he went, getting rid of this stick. Mm. Because if it's raining, I don't go out, mm. even with the stick. Because he's feeling more pain. Yeah, at the risk, the fear of slipping again. Right. And and doing it again. Right. Yeah. It's it's tough. I don't want to end us on a negative note though. No. (laughs) Because I mean, I I still believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, everyone listening who's childless, you're listening because you wanted the child and you didn't get the child. We didn't get the child we wanted or children. And now we have to figure out how to deal with it, how to live with this and how to age with this in a society that would call us expletives because we didn't have a child. They don't know why. It's amazing to me, human nature. We don't know why, but we have an opinion though. We have an opinion and we want to get it out. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's, that the guy was just talking about then the positive thing he was getting out he was doing so and i think there's something about working at it as well and also maybe not being blocked by family right that your children might be saying oh you, you don't want to be going dancing at your age you you don't want to be doing that just be here whereas we have opportunities to go dancing if we want right and and family should want to encourage us to quote unquote stay as young as we can for as long as we can because then they will feel, like you were saying earlier, either beholden to helping the person out or mm. running as far away as they can so they don't have to help. You know, mm. I mean, it's like you can't win, but I, I still think it's up to us as a community and as individuals in that community to see what we can do to see about each other and 
to plan as much as we can. No one knows what life holds, but plan as much as we can for life and for aging. Because the other thing is we're all living longer because Mm -hmm. we have better medicines. (laughs) There's a medication out there for everything now. And Mm -hmm. so to leave on a positive note, tell me something, tell, tell us something positive that you have learned from your research and from this book. And also once you've done that, tell us where we can find the book. Okay. Well, people want to talk and men want to talk. It's just that they've got to feel very, very safe to do it. I find men fascinating now, which I didn't for much of my life, but once I started this research, then yeah, why, why they act like they do, why they use the narratives they do. And I think once you realize they didn't get there all by themselves, they weren't born that way, that there's a whole lot of circumstances around them and around us as to why we are then I think it makes you take that step back and say, you know, I don't know that person's story, why they're behaving like they are, Mm -hmm. but wouldn't it be interesting to find out? So I think that's a really great thing about research, but also meeting fantastic people like you and, and talking to your members. That's a great opportunity to connect across the world. That's beautiful. And the book can be found online. It's called How Is a Man Supposed to Be a Man? Male Childlessness, A Life Course Disrupted. It's at Bergerhan Books. That's B-E-R-G-H-A-H-N Books. And there's an e-book available. It's in hardback. It's quite expensive because it's an academic, small, independent publisher. So I'd get it from the library myself. Mm, okay. <laughs> that tells us all we need to know, right? As far as how expensive it is. But it's there, just so you know, our you know, everyone knows it is available if you want it. It's available online and in the stores. You know, expensive is relative. So just know that it is there. It's available. It's a it's it's a great book to have or to read or to check out from the library. And speaking of that though, you have tons. I have, again, everybody, there are tons of links in the show notes and I've got them sorted out so that you can know what each link is about. There's a news media because you did for the Daily Telegraph, men just as broody as women. The link is there for that. Then the link to the information of how is a man supposed to be a man. That information is in there with, I guess the bit.ly link is a maybe like- It's a shortening thing. Like a snippet. But it's yeah. a snippet of the book, basically, of what the book's about. Yeah, it's on mm-hmm. Google Books, that thing where they give a bit of a sample. And you can right. Read to, right. I can't remember the technical word for that bit. Profile? Right. No. Anyway, I'll, <laughs> I'll give up. There's actually a code, especially for your show, that Bergerhun, a 25% discount. Oh, okay. If, if you go to the Bergerhun website, I think it's for the ebook. It's supposed to be working. It wasn't yesterday. Hopefully, it will be tomorrow. Uh, CCPOD. So that's Charlie, Charlie, Papa, October, Delta. Okay. Is the discount code. And that's good for the end of July. CCPOD. Yeah. Okay. And if they come up with another code for after July, if you can let me know, that would be great. But there are other links in here to, well, I put under your latest works, Anxious Childhood Attachment. These are all links, social Mm. networks of older childless men, the lived experience of older involuntarily childless men, tons of links that, so please, you know, as a listener to the Childless Not By Choice podcast, definitely check out the book, check out the links that I have here for Dr. Robin Hadley. He has allowed me to call him Robin. So if, I, <laughs> if, if you hear me say that, I, I 
I was given permission because I love to use people's titles because they they earned that title. <laughs> so oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my website's on your links. I know that. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. I have your website. And I, if I need anything, I'll definitely follow up with you because we are in, you know, regular contact with each other yeah. because of this community. So Robin, I would like to thank you for your time today and speaking with the community. Once again, it was so great to have you back and I appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much for inviting me. I hope people have enjoyed it and got something from it and you're doing a great job. So thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. Have a great one. And you.